Hey everyone, and welcome to another Yogi Misfit Sessions. My name is Danny Pomploon, and I am your hostess with the most assistance. You guys, I think I'm hilarious sometimes. I want you to know that, that I, I, I really do think I'm funny. Today I'm coming at you with session 71. And I've got Mr. Colin Hall on today's session, and we get to dive deep into some yoga philosophy. And it's really cool because he makes it really digestible, but he also has some really cool opinions on the way that we look at yoga and how we look at the sutras. I had a really hard time with philosophy when I first started because the concepts were so big, and it's people like Colin that have made it more readily accessible for us. He is a professor up in Canada, and he does a lot of uh, writing for um, Yoga International and does some videos for them. He's now working on a podcast for them. So he's a super smart smart guy, man. A guy knows a lot. And uh, we just get to have fun and nerd out about yoga philosophy. So hope you guys enjoy nerding out with us. And Tribe, I highly recommend you check out the amazing Brett Larkin's online yoga teacher training. Brett is not only one of the best yoga teachers I know, having taught at companies like Google and Pinterest, she's also an online juggernaut with people consuming over 3 million minutes of her YouTube content each month. Brett offers the most respected and interactive online yoga teacher training courses that gives a flexible way for you to become a registered yoga teacher and really change your life. The truly great thing about studying online is that it offers so much more flexibility and allows you to learn at your own pace. Plus, once you sign up, the resources are yours to keep forever. And remember, those of you that are already teachers can take the program at a discounted rate for continuing education credits with Brett. So head over to brettlarkin.com forward slash Danny. Again, that's brettlarkin.com forward slash Danny, which is linked in the show notes below. To download the brochure, that has tons of information on the course and how you can transform your life in just a few short months. Use the coupon code Danny when you sign up to get $100 off the course. That's $100 off the course. On top of that, when you use the coupon code Danny, you'll also get my free flight school videos, which are super fun to do. Registration closes April 30th, so make sure you head over to brettlarkin.com slash Danny to sign up before then. Registration is also almost full, so make sure you reserve your spot before it's too late. And before we get the show started, you know I'm going to tell you about iTunes reviews and how much I love them and how much you love them. So if you could take just a couple minutes to leave us an iTunes review, it really does help and support the show so much. It's how we grow. It's how we continue to spread this love and this joy of yoga and all the things that go with it with everybody else that is out there. Thanks for leaving a review. And without further ado, here comes Session 71. Mr. Colin Hall, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thanks for having me, Danny. I'm really well, thanks. I'm really, 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 really excited to talk with you today, mainly because I have all the questions. And also, I know that specifically when we talk about history of yoga and philosophy of yoga, I mean, I have all the books and I still sometimes just sit there and read them like, what the hell are they talking about? Yeah. <laughs> How did you get into all of it? You can, you can have all the books. If you don't have some of the context, though, the books are not that helpful. So yeah, I agree. Short, the short story for me is that I, I kind of I took a funny path into yoga. Uh, most people start off kind of taking some classes and, and really getting down with the asana part. And then mm -hmm. 
drift towards more meditation and eventually into philosophy. And I went the exact opposite route. So in 1995, took a religious studies class. And the teacher, uh, I got I got chatting with the teacher after the class, and they said, you know, you, you seem like you'd really dig this book called the Yoga Sutras. So they passed me over this copy of the Yoga Sutras. And you know, a 19 year old me kind of got my mind blown. I went, I kind of, I just went hard on yoga philosophy and actually really fancied myself a yogi, having never ever done a class or done a posture. I had no even idea or conception of what modern postural yoga was. Mm. I had no idea. And to be honest, kind of wrote it off. I thought in my mind, I was like, it's, it's jazzercise, man. Like it's not even. I probably would have stayed there, but I ended up getting a job at a yoga studio, just working their front desk. And uh, one of the perks of the job was free yoga classes, and I'm pretty cheap. So I was like, if that's if that's the only benefit of this job, I'm going to take advantage of it. So that was how I ended up getting into the postures. And uh, yeah, it was definitely, it started off, yoga for me started academically. Which is funny because I think a lot of, well, I mean, nowadays anyway and there's a whole reason why a lot of it's a lot of posture stuff because you know, instagram and facebook fit you know all the things that that push into a, di- a different context but i feel like a lot of people's gateway drug is the physical and then after that it starts to turn into more of the other aspects of practice even for myself you know i've been teaching for almost eight years now and for the first uh, four years, it was just asana, 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 asana. And I understood the things that I had to read in 200 hour teacher training. But as soon as I was done with teacher training, I was like, what was that? Okay, <laughs> moving on next thing, you know, and, and then switching roles and then starting to teach teachers and whatnot, I had to go back and dive into it. And when I went back to dive into it, I was like, whoa, this is intense. And this is dense. And it was same when I actually started to inquire within was when I took a religious studies class. Nice. And then I realized I was like, oh, wait, yoga isn't just like physical asana. There's actually like, you know, yana yoga and raja yoga and, you know, all the things that go with it. Mm-hmm. My mind really started to get blown. How do you make this stuff? I mean, there's the Mahabharata, which is one thing in itself, right? Mm-hmm. And all, well, anything, any, any of the books, this stuff is so meaty and so dense. Like where do you start? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, my, my access point for most people, what I recommend is not even so much uh, going to the classics, you know, the Ramayana and Yoga Sutras and Bhagavad Gita and all that kind of stuff, uh, but just going with something simpler and thinking about how we think about yoga today and sort of trying to sort of get a sense of how did modern postural yoga start? What are some of the influences and what are, you know, even when you're just practicing asana, there's still a philosophy there. And I think that, you know, we we don't often see it because we don't talk about it very much. But I think the philosophy for a lot of postural yoga is if you can make your body flexible, you'll make your mind flexible. Make your body strong, you'll make your mind strong. Make your body uh, strong, yeah. you'll make, you know. So the the philosophy of modern yoga is basically what you do to your body, you will do to your mind. And if um, if people get interested in that and, and start thinking about what are some of the key ideas that are running through a lot of the classes that we're taking, I think that that actually sort of opens up a bit of a window where reading the Yoga Sutras or the Bhagavad Gita, you can now start to kind of conceptualize what was 
the people that were practicing yoga at the time, these are the ideas that were underscoring their practice. It's really by sort of thinking about yoga philosophy today that we can even sort of start to wrap our heads around what yoga philosophy meant uh, historically or uh, for ancient yogis. Why do you think, I mean, I have my own opinions on it, but why do you think it's so important? I, I Well, okay. So I, I, I personally think that right now it's so important to keep these teachings alive and to keep the philosophy and the history alive, mainly because I think there's a lot of shift away from it. And like, you know, again, with the social media and all the influences that comes with being super bendy and on all that fun stuff for you, why is it so important to keep these teachings alive and how do you keep these teachings alive in, in your current teachings? Like, well, I mean, the, 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 the really simple answer is that it's depth. Mm -hmm. It's philosophy and history are, are the things that actually inform our practice. And, and like I said, there's always a philosophy. You, you don't have to think about it too much in order for there to be a philosophy. So uh, it's it's not like if you don't think about philosophy, you don't have one. You still do. You just don't think about it. But thinking about it actually sort of opens it up a little bit. I think, well, was it that as a quote by Patabi Joyce, he said that yoga is 99% practice and 1% theory or something like mm -hmm. that. I actually completely disagree. <laughs> I think that the theory is actually really quite important because it informs the practice. And so if you if you don't know why you're doing the things that you're doing, I don't know that you can really comfortably rely on your practices to provide you with the the benefits that you that you think they're going to come, right? So for me anyway, it it's all about depth and finding ways to make yoga more than just something that's performative it's it's more than just something that you that you do so that people can see it and applaud it philosophy is the thing that makes yoga more about your mind and beyond to whatever that beyond is for people and i, I don't even want to dig into that <laughs> let's demystify a few things i think for for the people that are listening you know this is a really important one how did yoga actually make its way out to the west and what like how did it get to where it's at right now oh my goodness <laughs> this is a 10 podcast series with, Dan, with danny and colin <laughs> they're each about 40 hours long <laughs> Um, no, but I think it's I think it's important. I think it's important to understand, you know, where it came from. Yeah. Um, okay. I look at basically sort of roughly four phases of yoga history. Mm -hmm. um, the furthest back you can go, three thousand to thirty five hundred years ago. These are the people that wrote these books called the Vedas, mm -hmm. uh, and they they used the word yoga. They did not mean anything remotely like what we're doing today. Mm -hmm. uh, for them, yoga was something that was a way to primarily kind of unite an individual with the sun mm -hmm. or with any other sort of form of a deity. Uh, and that happened mostly just through ritual and through sacrifice. And that, that phase carried through uh, into the Upanishads and, and even as into the Bhagavad Gita, uh, where the view of this is what people call classical yoga or Vedic yoga. Okay. There are, I think, a lot of people today that are um, still practicing that style of yoga. And when they look at people practicing modern yoga, 
they're like, that's not yoga. And so that produces a lot of the interesting tensions that we see in yoga today where people are kind of uh, scrapping over what yoga is, but they're just, you know, it's, it's people practicing two different kinds. Classical yoga around a thousand or so in the common era, so about a thousand years ago, from that tradition came this uh, style that I, I call medieval yoga. Uh, we could also call it hatha yoga or tantric styles of yoga. And this is really where the postures show up. So around a thousand years ago, we start seeing books that have got descriptions of different ways to sit, basically. And the different ways to sit are just that. They're called postures, uh, but they're essentially like vehicles for meditation. And so yoga, there are some some other postures in there that are like, uh, you could think of them almost as like internal hydraulics. If you look at a lot of the old pictures and uh, carvings and statues of people doing yoga, you'll see their heels are like pulled up really tight into their pelvic floors. Okay. It's actually where a lot of the stuff around Mulabandha shows up is... Ah. People trying to kind of like contract energy at the bottom of their bodies. And the the theory in medieval yoga was that there's a substance in your brain that is this nectar of immortality. And it is subject to gravity, so it trickles downward. And the idea in, in yoga is to f- reverse that or flip it so your energy isn't downward moving, it's upward moving. Mm. So this, you know, we get Mula Bandha and Uddiyana Bandha, but also stuff like headstand and shoulder stand where people are like hanging themselves upside down from trees and stuff. And uh, the idea is to try to prevent yourself from growing old and dying. So if you can, if you can keep all of your nectar in your brain, you'll stay young forever. That's how, that's the, that's the, that's the age old question, how to stay young. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was what they were working on a thousand years ago. And we, then this sort of this medieval style of yoga, all, all that really happened was, about a hundred years or so, roughly ago, that style of yoga got sanitized and exported. And so there were these initial uh, wave of yoga gurus, uh, Vivekananda, and, you know, he was probably the main guy, but, um, you know, Krishnamacharya is in that mix too, and uh, Sri Yogendra, Kuvalyananda, I don't know, whatever, all these dudes. Um, and what they did was- <laughs> All the yoga dudes hanging out. <laughs> they tried to find ways to basically make yoga more accessible to, A, just like regular working people in India, uh, but also people around around the world. Uh, They wanted to export it and they wanted to kind of share it with the world. And so you have now the beginnings of transnational yoga. And essentially what they did was they took out all the freakiness. So all the stuff with, you know, all the weird kriyas, like putting water in your bum, swallowing a bunch of water and then barfing it back up, swallowing cloths and all that kind of jazz. They took all that stuff out. They started doing some research to see like what is actually an effective way to practice yoga. Uh Uh-huh that then start to get a little bit of traction. Um, And now I I, I see us in a very new phase of yoga now. Uh, Yoga, I think, has changed pretty significantly even in the last, you know, 20 years or so. And it's the era of of what I consider to be like commercial yoga. Mm -hmm. Commercial yoga is, uh, it's a product. It's something that you sell. Right. In many ways, doesn't actually fit very well into there's somewhat of a narrative with those other styles or approaches or historical phases of yoga. Um, and this one, it's like all of a sudden we're doing something pretty new and different. 
And again, this is why uh, someone who's practicing sort of this medieval style of Hatha yoga in India would look at someone in North America and be like, that's not yoga. Or what are you doing? <laughs> exactly. Why are you doing like, why, why, why are all these white people in stretchy pants? <laughs> trying, yeah. <laughs> why are they putting their legs behind their heads like that? Like, <laughs> and so a lot of, a lot of the, uh, the, the commercial yoga, it comes down to an aesthetic mm, that, yeah. is, that it's, it's the appearance that really matters because it's the appearance that sells. Right. And, um, that is brand new. That's, that's never really happened. I think in, in a lot of ways, photography kind of uh, facilitated that where a book like light on yoga kind of maybe got it started. Mm -hmm. uh, where BKS Iyengar is able to show you the postures and you can flip through that book and be like, whoa, what is that? Right. Yeah. Now, Instagram has basically accelerated that process. Instagram. Oh my gosh. So much, so much. <laughs> it's, it's light on yoga on crystal meth as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So like, you know, n knowing that, I mean, that's a tough pill to swallow for, you know, for even myself, like knowing that, what, what do we do then? What do we do with this? Like, how do we come back to it? Or, or do you think it's even important to come back to tradition? Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, you, you, you can't go back. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't happen. History moves in one direction only. I think there's a lot of people that have this sort of romantic ideal uh, that um, we're going to somehow ditch everything that's happened over the past 100 years and go back to a, a simpler time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, that's a, it's a nice thought. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Uh, so we we are where we are, and I don't think I don't think that tradition is necessarily the answer mm -hmm. because those traditions were adapted for people that were living in a very different time. So, you know, if, if we, if we really want to get traditional about yoga, we should be learning to cut our frenulum so that we can stick our tongue back into our throat and try to like lick up some of that nectar of immortality as it drips down from our brain. I don't think anybody wants to do that though. Like there's, right. there's that, that's not, that's not what people want. What it comes down to for me, I think is new traditions for one, mm -hmm. uh, and intelligently adapting yoga to meet the needs of people today. And I think it's already happening. I'm not a pessimist. Like I, I don't think that yoga has been ruined. I think that there's a ton of people who are maybe, I'm trying not to be rude here, but I think there's a lot of people who, Jesus hard, I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. No regrets. They had they had aspirations of being famous singers and dancers, and that was really what they aimed for. And they realized that is a hard, nasty path to follow, incredibly competitive. Um, and they looked to their right and saw people doing yoga postures and went, "Well, shit, I can do that." Oh well, no, like I mean, that's that's not offending anybody. Like I, I've I literally have met someone in L.A. when I was doing some yoga yoga online stuff. And, you know, the person was like, Oh, will you do this on Instagram? And I was like, sure. And I said, Oh, so you're teaching yoga. She's like, yeah, well, you know, I didn't really, my acting career didn't take off. And so, and yoga people were making it. And I like just sat back and was like, oh, okay. All right. You know, and, but that's okay. Everyone is on their own journey. And I think that the more people we have practicing yoga, because I do think inevitably 
you know, once they start learning the teachings and actually being in it, it does shift and change you. Whether you like it or not, it is going to change you. I tend to agree. So this is why I think we don't really need to stress or worry about it. In my mind, what we need to do is to start to try to find really good yoga leaders, people that are doing things that are really inspiring and uplifting um, and that have a sense of kind of social responsibility. They, mm-hmm. they want to build a yoga uh, in the world that's accessible and inclusive, that doesn't have this sort of exclusivity of like only certain people can do it. And this here, this is a great reason of why yoga history matters, because I think it's very tempting to believe that that's something new, that this exclusivity thing in yoga of like, there's only for the the chosen few, for the cream of the crop, that that's something that's happened as a result of exclusive elitist yoga studios or something like that. But you Mm -hmm. look back in history, well, that was the case for most of yoga's history. Uh, it, it was something practiced by the elite. Uh, it was not something done for most people. In fact, by far, there's more people practicing yoga now than there ever has been in mm-hmm. history at, at any time. Um, and so it, it, yoga is already much more inclusive and democratic mm-hmm. than it ever has been. And so this is why I don't get super bummed out. And I'm not like, oh, we've, we've ruined yoga. <laughs> you changed it pretty dramatically, though. Sure. And but you're, you're, you're right. Like you said, there are those teachers though, that I think that keep like yourself, you know, if we didn't have, I, I think that's important, you know, like to, to have the, the teachers that are out there still bringing the teachings forth. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it was speaking of Instagram. It, it was just some, some graffiti that somebody took a picture of and it was um, the graffiti just said, stop making stupid people famous. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I don't know if you know, if you know Diane Bondi, she's another, another Canadian yogi, but she's, she's done a lot of work on, um, just sort of yoga, uh, in the black community and yoga for people that are overweight and just like yoga for people with big bodies. Yeah. Uh, she's done just like magnificent work. I'm a, I'm a big fan of hers. You know, she says that, uh, diversity is a fact. Inclusion is a choice. Yeah. And, and to me, that's, that's what we need to do is, is make the choice. It's not about making yoga more diverse. It's already plenty diverse. It's about choosing to make it inclusive, you know, and, and make it actually part of what we do. There's, there's plenty of people I think out there that are already doing that. Um, it's just a matter of sort of identifying them and propping them up a little bit, you know, hooking them up, you know, instead of, um, because I think the knee jerk reaction is to find the fanciest person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just find yeah. the one who glows the most. And, uh, and we're like, yeah, that's, that's my person. They seem the glowiest. Right. Totally. <laughs> and, um, you know, if you, if you go into a university and just walk around in the hallways there for a little bit and you're, you're looking for the brightest and smartest voices and the people that can help you out the most, they typically are not glowing all that much. Right. They've been behind a desk for 20 years. <laughs> you right. know, they just had their noses in books. So they're all hunched over and they're, chain smoking and drinking scotch and they don't glow at all but man have they got something to say so you know here's a here's a really simple tip uh, just for people listening is um seek out older yoga teachers 100 percent. oh my god St- stick with those that have been there for sure mm-hmm. so i mean i see so much right now of younger yoga teachers talking and acting as though they've rediscovered something or they've just so much of this like never do triangle pose 
And then <laughs> two weeks later, why would you not do triangle pose? It's amazing. Mm. As though mm. people haven't been dealing with this stuff already for like 30, 40 years or longer, right? So I think if we, if we can you know, track down more yoga teachers in their 60s and 70s, talk to those people and see what they've been teaching for the past 50 years. <laughs> I think there's probably a lot to learn there. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, there's definitely like newer teaching with biomechanics and things like that for sure. But I also think that there's a lot of depth in the past, you know, and a lot of depth in the things that we have learned. And again, you know, coming from someone like you who's, who's studied, like there's a sense of, of, of knowledge in that and, and like a, a depth in the knowledge in that. Yeah. And it's useful, right? It, it actually, it actually does inform how you do yoga. Yeah. yeah it's a great start. I mean, if you don't have a reference point, you don't know how to change it or to, to see what was done before to, to switch it up, if it's going to switch it up or to study it. For sure. So I think, you know, something that people can do uh, in, in addition to sort of seeking out older teachers is to get over this idea of somehow that if it's ancient and Indian, it must be super wise and mystical and just like it's it's the best. And if it's if it's new and shiny and North American, obviously it's commercialized garbage. It's over it's oversimplified thinking. In, in a lot of ways, it's actually a little bit racist. Uh, because you're taking a, a really big assumption about a whole boatload of people that is prejudiced. It's, it's a funny kind of prejudice because it seems positive. But when uh, when people read something like the Bhagavad Gita, to read it critically, because you're not going to agree with everything in there. Mm. I mean, just interesting kind of historical note, uh, Heinrich Himmler, who was organizing, he was the head of the SS, uh, they're part of the Nazi uh, army that actually managed the concentration camps. He was a really big fan of the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, and he, huh? Interesting. Yeah, he used that book to motivate his soldiers. So his soldiers would be like, you know, working in this concentration camp, it, it's terrible. It's bad. I don't like it. I want to quit. He's like, aha! You know what? Arjun also wanted to quit. Ah, uh, I see. And yeah, he did it for the greater good. You know, and so you know these these books are not, we, we want to approach them as though they're sacred and untouchable. Like all you need to do is be able to quote from the yoga sutras and then you're good. Mm -hmm. Not true. Not true at all. We need to be critical of everything. Right. I teach, I teach workshops on the yoga sutras. I'm not a terribly big fan. I don't think it's all that good of a book. I, I think that there's a reason why it was pretty much extinct uh, for about 500 years, there was <laughs> the last commentary that was written on the Yoga Sutras was very critical of it, actually made fun of it in a number of places uh, for being overly simplistic. And so it's hmm. weird today that people uh, want to elevate this book to this uh, stature and say, you know, it is it is the definitive book on yoga. When if you read it carefully, I think you'll find you probably don't agree. You know, hmm. I, I don't think most people actually want you know, the the last chapter of the Yoga Sutras is called the Kaivalyapada. Uh, and Kaivalya just means aloneness. And it's it's this state of of unity, of this sense of oneness where there is no other. Hmm. And when there's no other, you are alone. It's only you. No no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nothing to see, nothing to do. There's there's nothing out there for you to experience because you are everything. That's a tough pill to swallow, and that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think people want it. I think yeah. people want to enjoy their bodies. They want to mm. be able to move with less pain and more ease. They want to enjoy being alive. 
that's not what the yoga sutras was all about. Right. Right. It's about being really uncomfortable. <laughs> it's about, it's about the end. It's an, it's an ending, right? Like that's, it's about getting away from life, not to work mm. it. And so our philosophy of yoga today, I think is actually quite different than anything that was in the yoga sutras. So it's a weird thing to have people in teacher trainings, spending all this time working on making bodies feel good, and then promoting a philosophy that says, get away from your body. Mm. I understand. Yeah. It's just, it's like, um, there's a confusion there. And this is what happens when you, when you take a, an ancient text and kind of cease to think of it in a critical way, you start to think of it as something pure, uh, as something that, um, we need to kind of like uphold and maintain rather than trying to understand. Man, Colin, there's so much to unpack. I feel like we could go like, and just go in so many directions on this, but uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's just a lot of, there's so many, uh, even in writing my notes right now, I'm like, okay, gotta, gotta look that up. want to go there. <laughs> you know, there's so many good golden nuggets and golden tickets that you've just like, I feel like handed away for everybody out there. I know that you are up to some really, really, really cool stuff. You, uh, you're contributor over at yoga international. You've got, uh, some other things going on in the works over there. And if people want to follow you around, where do you start to give, or where do you give all these lectures? Well, I'm mostly at the University of Regina, uh, which is, uh, I think, probably for the bulk of your audience, a little out of the way. <laughs> we can come up north and visit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a quick, about a 12-hour drive from Denver. Just go straight north. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, I spend most of my time uh, doing religious studies and sociology lectures, and I teach mm. for, for kinesiology as well. Um, and so that's, that's really where I spend uh, the bulk of my time. Uh, but that's, you know, that that's sort of, it's funny, you can't, you can't really do the sort of uh, yoga workshop circuit uh, when you work as a professor. Yeah, I could, I could imagine that'd be a little challenging. Yeah. So it's, it's difficult if people want more, it's, it's just, it's difficult to get to. I, I do my best to post, you know, stuff to get people thinking uh, when I, when I do post on Instagram, sure. I, I try not to just like uh, wax my legs and do a pretty pose <laughs> we want to see that too colin i got nice legs don't get me wrong <laughs> pretty good uh but yeah i know i try to include just like a lot of uh, thought-provoking material and and stuff just to get get people's brains moving a little bit more because that's my goal it's what it really i what i want to accomplish is to create a yoga that is really uh, more curious yogis mm. that are more curious and just more mm. interested in what they're doing it's uh i feel like again at the risk of sounding a little bit rude there's a tendency towards stupidity in yoga and i don't mm. mean to say that like that the people are dumb what i mean by stupidity is that this this idea that the less information you have the better off you are i understand yeah yeah and and so people often there's like a knee-jerk reaction away from history and history and philosophy as though it's it's going to mess things up uh so i do my best just to kind of post really interesting things and try to stir the pot a little bit so you know if people can track me down on instagram they'll probably um follow me for a couple of weeks and then change their mind <laughs> well hey you know what if you're if you're starting to press their buttons that much maybe they should stick there a little bit longer you know that's normally where the good stuff happens <laughs> i think so I, I love when people piss me off man that's one of my favorite things in the world <laughs> that's what we're here to do colin thank you so much again for coming on the show and taking uh, the time out to just drop some wisdom on us i, I mean i can't say thank you enough. i know i've had such a hard time 
pulling this stuff in and even now translating it as a teacher myself. So I appreciate you taking the time out and sharing your wisdom with us. It is a great pleasure. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Until the next Yogi Misfit session, this is Danny and Khan saying peace out. <laughs> <laughs>